Thanks so much, Adam. Hey, can we give Adam a hand? First time hosting. I was giving him a hard time. I was like, dude, I'm so sorry, but I'm giving you a lot of verses to read. And uh, nailed it, Adam. Great job. Thanks, man. Um, And for his ministry especially, the way he leads the guest experience team. Uh, Many of you guys have been blessed by by him and his team. So thank you, Adam. Uh, before we get into the word today, let's, let's pray, and I guess what's on my heart and mind is I imagine many of you guys are shooting this last week, so I want to hold, hold that in prayer as well. Father, as we uh, gather together, we're, we're thankful for this time that we can meet, uh, but we do pause and just think about those who uh, lost loved ones this week. We pray for them, uh, that your, your healing, your comfort would, would be with them. And that your love would somehow shine through there. Father, we know that you say in, in your word that tragedies are going to happen in an in increasing measure as time marches on with, with greater and greater intensity. Still, nonetheless, we, play, we pray for your, your justice as well as your, as your mercy. And Father, as we look now at your word, would you please give us your spirit to understand what you have in front of us? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Hope you have some fun plans to uh, enjoy uh, in the next day or so. Uh, Today is a big day in the life of the church. It's special. If you were here last week, you know it's the first time we're going to be taking communion in over a year. I mean, it just feels like, you know, such the result of a global pandemic that we haven't been able to do this in in over a year. Uh, So hopefully when you came in underneath your chair, you got a little uh, individually wrapped uh, wafer and juice cup. We're being mindful of the times we're in and the health concerns and all that sort of thing. So you can uh, hold on to that. Uh, we'll, we'll take together at the end of the message all, the, all those who want to. And then for those of you online, part of what we shared, uh, why we shared last week was hopefully so you could be prepared today with some bread and some juice. Uh, so we'd love for you guys to participate with us too. Um, and as, as in light of all this, what I wanted to do today is focus in on, on communion. I realized that we actually haven't spent time together uh, as a church, directly focused on what communion is. We talk about it peripherally. We've done that a number of times down the years. But today, I want to focus in on two specific things. What communion is and how we ought to respond as we take communion. Like, what, what ought to be our heart posture in the midst of taking communion? So for those of you, and I know, I know this is true for, for many of you who are more uh, recent in your faith, you've, you've more recently made a faith decision to follow Jesus, and maybe you haven't really thought about these things before. I hope this is helpful and instructive for you. And then for those of you who have you know, a, a better grip of understanding when it comes to these things, I hope it would help remind you of what it's all about and our response in the midst of it, and, and hopefully also enrich, enrich in your experience as well today. So what communion is and our heart response in, in the midst of it. So first, what communion is. Uh, in this text that was read, the Apostle Paul was writing to the early church in Corinth, in Greece, and to say that this church had issues would be probably a major understatement. Okay, This church, and I know every church has issues, this church had major issues. In fact, it's the church that received most words, uh, count letters from the Apostle Paul of all the, all the church letters we have recorded in the scriptures. And in fact, there are at least two more letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that we don't actually have preserved, but we know from references in this letter that he also wrote to them. And almost all of this writing was to help solve major issues in the life of this church interpersonal conflict, uh, theological funkiness, if I can call it that, uh, just all these sorts of things. And right here in the middle of this first letter to this church in Corinth, he's dealing with yet another issue the church was having. And in the midst of this, 
talks about the importance of what communion is and how we ought to respond. That we need to take it seriously. We need to understand what's going on and, res- and respond appropriately. And here's the very heart of the text. In fact, these words are called the words of institution. If you've been here at Current or maybe even at other churches, chances are you've heard these words read when we take communion. Starting in verse 23, Paul wrote, I have received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, and then a little bit down the way, he said, and he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood, and, and so on. Uh, he starts this text by saying, for what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. This is a, an important statement, because it's saying, we don't just take communion just because. Communion is not just something we do, well, just because, well, I, you know, we should do it. We take communion because Jesus tells us to take communion. For his followers, he, he's the one who instituted this practice, which Paul reminds us, is our Lord. And if our Lord says to do this, if he's the one who established it, then we are to take it. It's something that theologians call is a sacrament. A sacrament is this Latin word that means sacred, of course. It means holy, consecrated, those sorts of things. But what is a sacrament when it comes to what the Bible understands it to be? Uh, There's perhaps uh, not many better definitions than one found in the Westminster Shorter Chasm, one one that I uh, memorized for for my ordination test. But uh, this is what the Westminster Shorter Chasm says about a sacrament. A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Okay, so a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. We already talked about that. Paul is saying, this is what I've received from Christ. This is something that Christ himself instituted, wherein, by sensible signs... If you took in school early church history or Reformation history, you probably are familiar with the term transubstantiation that the Roman Catholics believe when they take communion, the the bread and juice uh, physically become the body and blood of Jesus. That's what they believe. What we believe is that there are, these are sensible signs in which we participate in this. So that, yes, the presence of Jesus is in the bread and juice, but in a spiritual way, not physical way. So by sensible signs, uh, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are presented, sealed, and applied. We'll talk more about the new covenant in a bit. But this is, this is to say that when we take communion, there's a spiritual nourishment that goes along with it. There's spiritual blessings, graces, and mercies that we receive, that we experience as, as we do so. Uh, so that's what a sacrament, and if we try to take that into more accessible terms, which is always a bit of a, uh, a, a trick here because you, you lose some of the force and, and, and power of it all, we can say that communion is essentially an outward expression of an inward spiritual reality and blessing. Okay? So communion is an outward expression of an inward spiritual reality and blessing. And we're going to talk more about what it is as we go along, but that's kind of the high-level thought. Now let's look at how do we respond, okay? And this is really the, the, the heart of what we're getting at today. We see here, uh, it seems to me, five calls of response when we take communion, five ways we're called to respond. Number one, communion is an occasion, Paul lets us know, to look backward, okay? We're, we're called to look backward. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when he took the cup, he said, drink of it in remembrance of me. Okay, this is quite straightforward, but the thought here is, of course, on the occasion of taking communion, we ought to look back, we ought to remember what Jesus accomplished on the cross for those who follow him. Now, where are we getting that? What he accomplished on the cross? Well, he said, we are to remember specifically two things. 
Number one, his body given to you. His body broken. It's funny. This week was the first week it dawned on me, something that probably you guys, many of you probably had already figured out many years ago, those of you guys have been taking communion for a while, is that many commentators I was reading were saying, you know, Jesus probably at least in part chose bread as one of the elements because of all of its pot marks and all of its little imperfections to really kind of help symbolize the broken body of Jesus. And when he took the bread, he broke it in front of his disciples, helping them really see and understand more fully that his body was broken for us. The prophet Isaiah, speaking almost 700 years before Christ, spoke about him when he said, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. And the idea is when we remember the body of Jesus, we remember that he not only suffered, but he suffered to a greater degree than any of us would ever experience on our behalf for our sake. So we remember the body of Christ, and of course we remember, he says, the blood. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Of course, this is a clear teaching on the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah also spoke about this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Then it goes on to say, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. And then verse 12, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I have a buddy of mine who doesn't go to church, uh, doesn't call himself Christian, uh, Part, part of our relationship is uh, a lot of banter between us, mostly him bantering with, with me, making fun of me for being a pastor. That's kind of our relationship. It's, it's all kind of in, good and fun and all that sort of thing. But at one point, uh, more recently, just out of nowhere, he just got really vulnerable with me. He said, David, I feel like there's a lot of evil in me. I'm just like, whoa, wait, okay. And I'm just listening in here, but it really was out of nowhere. He said, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say I'm a terrible, terrible person here, but there's a lot of evil in me. There's things that I do and have done that I'm not proud of. And that's the wonderful news of Jesus that we remember when we take communion, that his blood shed for us for the, for the forgiveness of sins, that we can receive wholeness and restoration with our Holy Father, the one who created us. We, when we, it says also in that Isaiah account, I didn't have it read, by his wounds we are healed. Uh, when, when he died for us, when he shed his blood, we can receive forgiveness. And so when we take communion, we look backward and we remember. And you know, that word remembrance isn't just intellectual recall. It's, it's really sitting with it. It's commemorating and letting it sink a little bit more deeply into us, a little bit more deeply af afresh onto us. Uh, my dad had a friend that would sometimes pray out loud around us, uh, and Jesus, please wash us with the blood of Jesus. And as a little guy, that, that imagery was kind of didn't sit quite right. I'm like, what? Wash the blood of Jesus? That's kind of... Um, but I think it's actually a really good prayer. I might not pray it around little ones who don't understand the imagery and all that sort of thing, but it's, it's actually a really wonderful prayer. He was saying, Jesus, we, we need you to wash us anew with, with your blood. Now, theologically, the good news of Jesus is he died once and for all for our sins. So it's not like you need to receive forgiveness in the ultimate sense again. But when we take communion, we just we remember it and we are, we are cleansed again, and as, as the Bible says, uh, washed white as snow. Uh, and, and so we need to remember, we need to look backward on, on Jesus and what he did, his body broken, his blood shed for us. So, so we look backward, and then number two, a communion is an occasion to look upward. 
okay? Jesus doesn't just say that we need to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance. He says you need to do this in remembrance of me, specifically. Uh, we don't just look backward at the accomplishment, uh, at the accomplished work of Christ. We look upward at the person of Christ. At the end of the day, what God wants more than anything with you and me is a personal relationship. And we see this in verse 25 when he says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood. What's a covenant? Okay, what's the new covenant? What's the old covenant? What's, what's the covenant? A covenant is a chosen relationship with binding promises. Okay? A chosen relationship with binding promises. And probably the best example we have in our culture of a covenant relationship is marriage. If you've been to a wedding ceremony, if you've been to a, a Christian wedding ceremony, chances are you've heard the covenant vows, the covenant language there. When we promise to be faithful to them and them alone for, for, for good or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health and the rest of it, that's all covenant lang language. And if you've experienced that and you've married someone that you've, you've been close to for years, you could have developed a really good relationship with them, become the best of friends, and that just take new uh, leaps and bounds into engagement and all the rest of it. But then there's something about when you get married, you exchange these vows. With, with the social binding nature of it, as we do it in front of our family and friends, and frankly, also the legal binding nature of it, as we do it before the government, even as the efficient place wears two hats in that sense, there's something more powerful that's going that allows the relationship to become more intimate because of that binding nature of the relationship. For instance, we're allowed to become, hopefully within the safety of that umbrella, this covenant language, really who